0: So my name is Nick, by the way, if we haven't met, my name is Nick Powell. Uh, I would love to get coffee with you if uh, you're... I know some people aren't like big coffee drinkers, Um, but I don't know. I would love to just hang and hear your story. Uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background of who we are and what we're doing. So we're Hope City Church. We're a church plant. We've been gathering for like a year. And one of the first things that we did... So I like... I've used this metaphor a bunch and people are going to groan because I use this all the time. But... I like to woodwork. And there is a, uh, a way in which we have to, like when you use a handsaw, Who nobody uses a handsaw anymore. I understand that, but I like handsaws. And one of the things when you use a handsaw and cut into a piece of wood, you know you gotta follow the line. Well, if you start off crooked, the first six strokes of the saw cut set the tone for everything. And so by the time you're down at the end of the board, you're way off if your first six strokes of the saw are like crooked, just even slightly crooked. And so from the get-go of planting our church, we were leaning into the Lord being like, all right, God, what do you want us to do? Best foot forward, what does that look like? When we're planting uh, a new church to reach the lost, like what does it look like? Uh, to Like what are we doing? And one of the first things that we did was gather folks in our home around the table. And that's based on Jesus' life. Jesus, when you like really boil it down, like in um, the Gospel of Luke, he says... The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so that's Jesus' mission. Like if he had a mission statement, it would be to seek and save the lost. Well, then how did he do that? It also says that Jesus came eating and drinking. So Jesus, his mission was to reach the lost, and his mission strategy, like what he did was get around the table. Like he got around the meal table with people. So he hung out with tax collector dudes, blue-collar dudes, white-collar dudes, religious dudes, non-religious dudes, and Gauss, but he hung, out, he hung out with all sorts of different people from all different walks of life to reach the lost around the table. And so uh, we can't do everything as a church plant. I don't know how many people are in this room, but I mean, this is probably the most people we've had in one place since starting the church. And so if we can only do a few things, what would those few things be? You know, if you're trying to change the world, what would you do? And I think world changing happens in the most ordinary ways, which around the table is something that that we've been focusing on. So we have a community group that meets on Wednesday nights. We also have another community group that meets on Thursday nights. So what I'd love for you to do after service is go over to that little board um, that has the map of Clinton on it. It says community groups, map of Clinton, Fulton, and I think you call that the gateway, right? Like people still call it the gateway? Okay, Uh, I heard someone say, well, they're they're trying to call it the Tri-City now. Is that true? (laughs) Who's calling it the (laughs) Tri-City? (laughs) <laughs> Fairly not so yeah that's right so anyways there's two cards over there the Traverses lead a community group on Thursday nights and they're awesome so meet the Traverses and we meet, lead a community group on Wednesday night. that is the main bread and butter of our, of our church and connecting with a community group is, gonna, is going to allow you to go deep with people and get on mission in community and so super important for us uh, number two just a real quick note Uh, on Sunday mornings, during the sermon time, uh, we're big believers that the steady diet of the believer on Sunday morning in terms of preaching should be expositional preaching. So, you guys don't care, some of you might care, my wife might care. The most important thing isn't what I have to say, it's what the Lord has to say. And so, the Bible is God's word for us. This is the authority that we sit under and this is the nourishment that we um, consume. We want the word of life, we want Jesus and what he has to say to us. So, That informs the way that we approach the pulpit ministry at Hope City Church. Expositional preaching means that we're going to, um, 90% of the time, for a sermon, we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. And uh, that way we can learn what God has to say to us. And so, not that there's not a place for topical sermons, you know, sermon series on marriage or, you know, like those are all very important things. But the steady diet is going to be, what, is, what does the book of Galatians say? What does the book of Ephesians say? What does God say through these, uh, this ancient text? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go dive into the book of Galatians. That's where we've been. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, meet us this morning, that we would quiet our hearts. For some of us, I know that this is maybe the only moment of the week that we've actually sat and just are quiet. We know that your word says we're to be still before you and know that you're God. You're bigger than us. You're bigger than our problems. You're sovereign. You have all of the universe under control. And so we don't have to worry. We can be like little children. We know that. So we come to you as children, humble, dependent, trusting. And so I pray that you'd meet us this morning. we draw near to you? Would you draw near to us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in Galatians, and uh, Galatians, Galatians is a great book, so if you don't know where Galatians is, grab a, there's Bibles over, there should be, over at like, we have a little connection table, and I know it's kind of awkward to like, stand up and walk in front, I don't have a Bible, you know, so you may not do that, that's fine, Uh, we'll have it on the screen, and then also on your phones, you probably have a Bible app, so open up to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again. If anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So a few months back, I received a, an email from someone I didn't know. It was like, I could tell it was kind of a fake email account. Um, and I was like, who is this person? And this person came to me really distraught. They were like, uh, they signed the email, like someone in distress looking for pastoral guidance. And I was like, great, this is what I'm in it for. I want to meet with this person. And so uh, I set up a meeting with this person and met at the coffee shop. And uh, what I didn't realize is that this person baited me. They like baited me to have, uh, they basically conversationally ambushed me to argue about uh, the finer points of the law. I couldn't believe it. Like the law, if you're not familiar, there's a whole Old Testament in the Bible that's full of like rules and regulations that guided worship and culture and things like that, like not eating pork and all those types of rules. Well, he he's basically told me um, that there's no true church in Clinton because no church follows the law, no church follows what's in the Old Testament. You know, we all eat, some of us eat pork. We all worship on Sundays typically. Most of the churches in this town worship on Sundays. And so these are all things that he was like, yeah, there's no, you guys aren't, you're not legit. And he straight up called me a false prophet. Like he was pretty aggressive with me. And I was like, whoa, I was not prepared for this meeting. Uh, I did not come in like with all my you know, blog posts and different like outlines of the law and its relationship with the New Testament. I was just like, dude, I, this is aggressive. And uh, one of the things that struck me is that 2000 years ago, this guy would have been on solid ground to stone me because that's what happened to Paul. Paul was preaching the gospel, and, uh, and if you want to know a little bit of the historical context behind the book of Galatians, read Acts 14 through 15. And what, one of the things you see is a classic case of misplaced religious zeal, like misplaced religious passion. And they were coming, this guy was coming at me hard, and uh, in a similar way, people were coming at Paul because they believed that his gospel, the gospel that he was preaching, was too soft. It was overly generous. The gospel of Christ crucified, risen and reigning, like that's what Paul was about. In one of his other letters, he says, I came to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. There's nothing else that I, I didn't come in here to show you 10 tricks on how to have a better finance or how to, you know, like restore property and make a career out of that. Like Paul came in to the churches to say, I got one thing to say, and it's Christ crucified. And so he had um, a group of Jews that scholars called Judaizers. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, the Judaizers. Uh, is basically old school uh, Jews who were like, hey, there's a ton of stuff in this Old Testament that you are uh, apparently not teaching these new converts. All sorts of Gentiles, people that didn't grow up Jewish, they didn't grow up in the church. Uh, they worshipped all these different pagan gods, or they did whatever. They just didn't make time for it. And Paul preached the gospel of Christ, and people were saved, and uh, they, they, were, they ran into a dilemma. Like, do they become a Jew and follow all the Jewish stuff in order to be a full member of the household of God? Do, you, do we have to follow all the things? Or is there something new that's happened? And Paul was making a case that uh, if it's really if it's faith alone that justifies a person by grace alone, faith alone, then that actually means something. And so one of the things that happened is that the there was a group of people that were in the church poisoning the well. They were poisoning the well, the congregation, because what they were saying is your justification was based. They were basing your justification on your sanctification. So put it simply, um, you walk in with the Lord for a while, and uh, you get, I don't know, you, you backslide. I don't know if you've heard that term. You start to screw up. You start to have a hard time with walking with Jesus. And then you start doubting. Am I saved? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I legit? Those are all like normal things that I think everyone in this room has probably wrestled with. And what was happening is that these Jews were coming in and they were saying, hey, you're not obedient enough. You're not doing enough. And you know, you know what that it says? It says that you're not legit. You're not real. You're not a real follower of, of God. You're not really a part of God's family because you don't follow all these rules. And so there's an interesting thing that happened is that they were basing their justification being made right with God. Am I okay with God? Like, I feel guilty about all these things. I don't go to church as much as I used to, or whatever. I feel like I'm not worth it. What do you say to yourself? What does your fa- friends, family, churchmen, church, church uh, friends, what do they say to you to encourage you? That's, that is the dragon of a problem that's in your life. That's the dragon that you all face. That is the main foe. When you're thinking through uh, life as a Christian, life as a God follower, do you really believe the gospel or not? Is the, is the gospel really good news to you? Is it good news to you when you screw up? Is it good news to you when your friend screws up? And so what was going on is they were saying, hey, um, I see a lot of things that aren't lining up in your life. You're not obedient enough, and that means you're not saved. And so they were basing their justification on their sanctification, and that, is, that caused a lot of problems. And so um, Paul wrote a letter called Galatians to this church to this collection of churches, and they were struggling with believing the gospel. They were, they were struggling with gospel drift. And so, um, this, uh, what was going on? Oh, there's a, there's a parable. Sorry, I'm totally blacked out here for a second. Um, you guys, you've heard the parable of Jesus um, taught about the vineyard where there's a bunch of workers and uh, this guy owns a vineyard and he's like, hey, I'm going to hire some guys to come in and work in the vineyard. And the ones that he hires first, early in the day, uh, they work all day. Well, some guys, they hire the master of the vineyard hires only half the day. And then some people are hired for only like a couple hours. And at the end of the day, the master of the vineyard gets his day's wages out, he gets his checkbook out, and he writes the same amount of money in compensation for all of the workers. The ones that worked all day got the same amount as the ones that only worked for a couple hours. And, of course, that torques off the people. If you guys have ever you know, worked a job, like, that can be frustrating. And so what Jesus was doing with that story is he's saying, hey, the Gentiles are late to the party, but they're getting full inclusion. They're getting the full inheritance of God because of Jesus, because it's grace alone through faith alone. And so the Jews and other folks had a, had a deep, deep problem with that. They were judging people. Are they legit followers of Jesus for how well they could perform? And so this is an age-old problem that persists to this day. Uh, religious people, I believe, get frustrated uh, when, they believe their, when they don't see their religious work being validated. This, this works itself out in a lot of different ways. Spiritual pride is the worst kind of pride. You guys know this. And many of these religious, spiritual, prideful people, what they wanted to do is they wanted to crash Paul's party. And Paul wasn't having anything of it. So take a look at verse 6. I'm astonished. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace, uh, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So one of the things that's very interesting is that he's he's like, he's so astonished. (laughs) astonished. That's all right. We just get this up on the mic and then (laughs) I love it. You are not justified by this behavior. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a big deal. <laughs> no, it's great. If we were at our so we were gathering at this old Catholic church, uh, St. Irenaeus in the North End. If that happened there, nobody would ever know cuz it, it's just like cavernous like hall. So in in this letter, Paul, you can see like how he begins it. He's like, "I'm astonished." His jaws on the floor. Like the dude is, is flabbergasted. He's verklempt. And so Paul's working. Uh, what, what Paul does here is he's skipping his usual introductions. He usually goes like, if you're familiar with the, old, uh, the New Testament letters that Paul's written, he usually starts with like, hey, uh, Corinthians, really admire your faith. I like the way you've been doing this and you've been loving people and you've been meeting together in the homes. We really appreciate this. Well, he skips all that. He's just like, I'm shocked that you're doing this. And he goes straight. So it must be a big deal. I want you to feel the sense of urgency here. And so I can picture Paul, he's like pacing around his room because he didn't write the letters with his own hand. He had a scribe dictate it. And so, or he dictated it to the scribe. And I can see the scribe like hunched over the desk with his pen and quill, you know. And he's like, okay, okay. And then Paul's like, I'm shocked. I'm astonished. They're following a different gospel. And he's pacing around the room and the scribe's trying to keep up. And so there's a curtness to the letter that I want us to appreciate because this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. How could they be deceived so quickly? And so the first thing you need to notice is that Paul sees wandering from the message of Christ crucified as wandering from God himself. So when you drift from the gospel, you're drifting from God. He's equivocating the two here, deserting him who called you. So wandering actually isn't a strong enough language here. Paul uses, it's deserting. Deserting God, deserting the gospel. Uh, an old school word that we could use is apostasy. Apostasizing. Um, just backsliding is not enough. There's a real sense of, of peril here. There's a cliff. And, and he's like, this, this danger, this is a big deal. Salvation is at stake. And so this is a timely passage for a lot of Christians in our 2021 modern day because a lot, have you ever heard of the phrase deconstructing or the word deconstructing? A lot of people are deconstructing. There's a lot of reasons for that and this, that would be like a whole lecture and I'm not here to lecture. Uh, the, the deconstructing that's happening, especially in my age group and younger, is alarming. So there's actually a phrase for this called post-evangelical. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with what we perceive as authentic in politics and religion, there's, there's a whole blending of like Republican politics or Democratic politics and the church. And, and it's hard. I think for younger people, they don't know where the Bible, where, where this is versus where like a, a political principle is, you know, and conflating the two. And so the, it's just getting, there's a lot of babies being tossed out with bathwater in 2021. And so it's important for us to hear the letter of of Galatians, especially those who are deconstructing, especially who are those of you and I think it's safe to assume that some of you in this room are struggling with that. I know I've struggled with that. Biblical orthodoxy, where does it fit in a modern world? So nobody wants to hear <laughs> nobody wants to hear the ancient gospel. The straight up biblical Raw and real gospel of Jesus Christ. Because nobody wants to hear about personal sin. Nobody wants to hear about personal responsibility. Nobody wants to talk about the wrath of God. Nobody wants to talk about repentance, heaven and hell. And the dangerous thing about deconstruction and about deconstructing the gospel is that you deconstruct saving faith. That's what Paul's big deal is here. There's, There's content to the gospel So the point of of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't good vibes. It's not like, hey, I'm coming to you with the gospel. We're a gospel church. We're a gospel ministry. You don't say that phrase because you're trying to describe an emotion. Certainly emotions are involved in that. It's good news. But there's content to our good news. there's, There's an event that happened. Christ crucified, risen and reigning. Something happened there. It's packed into our gospel. We want to make sure that we see that. So the Word of God has not changed. The Bible's not changed, but our culture has changed. You guys who have lived long enough, you know that there's been some radical shifts and fault lines moving over the last even 10 years. Things just feel different than they probably did to you 30, 40 years ago. Maybe even five years ago. feels quite a bit different. But a false gospel here, the false gospel here, it's a mirage. It's fool's gold. That's what a false gospel is. So take a look at verse 7. Not that there is another one. This is, I want you to see how crazy this is. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, twist, and bend the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying there's literally only one gospel. There's only, and Jesus said something similar. There's only one way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to be reconciled to the maker of the universe. That's a really offensive claim to a modern person. It's, it's abrasive. It, it sands against the grain. But we have to see this. There's only one way. There's only one gospel. There's only one good news of salvation. There's either the gospel of Jesus or there's perversions of the gospel. And so, as I, as I said before, as you can see, like, there's false teachers poisoning the well in the Galatian church. They're twisting justification to make it justification by works. Grace wasn't really a gift to these false teachers. Faith wasn't really all they needed. What they really needed was to perform well. And based on their performance, they were to be judged as worthy of full inclusion into the family of God. Nothing's really changed. This is the beauty of the Bible, is that, yeah, there's some differences. This is 2,000 years ago. I mean, they didn't have Tesla You know, they didn't have SpaceX back then. But a lot of the things are the same. The struggles, the hard issues. A lot of it is very, very, very similar. We still have a problem clinging to the one true gospel. And people, people still hurt. People aren't okay. They weren't okay then. They're not okay now. People are still lost. And people long for the good life. They long for it. And so there's competing visions of the good life, and there, there are competing prophets who claim to know that the path is here, it's there, it's over there, let's do this, do that. But there's a constant theme throughout the ages. People underestimate their need for God, something that we see all over Scripture. They underestimate, or they underestimate their need for God, and you overestimate your ability to dig yourself out of the problems that you're in. So I want to do a little definition work uh, that will help us bring, I think, the text to bear on our current uh, moment. So a generic definition of the gospel: If you've never heard of, like, what is the gospel? What does that even mean? Generic definition of the gospel is good news that the good life is available to you. Good news that the good life is available. So the gospel is an announcement, something that's happened in the past that opens the door for you to live the good life. That's the gospel. That's a gospel. That's a generic definition of the gospel. So the gospel of Christ is that God loves you so much that he died for you to rescue you and to bring you to real flourishing, real good life. But there's other gospels floating around in our culture, and so here's some. The good life is available to you because you are enough. These are subtle. I want you to hear how subtle that is. The good life's available to you because you're enough. Your truth. You ever heard someone say, Live your truth? Your truth. I used to hear that all the time at a coffee shop I used to work at um, in Des Moines. Your truth. Live your truth. Your truth is waiting to be discovered deep down if you only look inside of yourself deep enough and long enough. Or <laughs> just let it go. Let it go. Because the cold never bothered you anyway. I love Frozen. I'm not one of those guys that's like, don't watch Disney movies. I like Frozen, okay? But I want you to see that there's subtle distortions and shifts of the good life if we embrace those things as ultimate things. So this is like Oprah platitudes, stuff you'd hear on college campuses. So let me offer a working definition of a false gospel. A false gospel is any belief system or way of life that promises fullness of meaning. If you're a note taker, I think this is worth writing down. Meaning, belonging, and pleasure. Meaning, belonging, and pleasure. These are like fundamental needs that God made us. There's holes, there's a hole of meaning, there's a hole that needs to be filled with belonging, and there's a hole needing to be filled with pleasure. We all search after these things. God wants to fill those holes. But apart from God, filling those holes becomes false gospels and idols. Idolatry. And one thing that you need to recognize is that uh, the gospel is a message of good news that stands on its own. There's it content that you could point to. So a gospel also produces a gospel culture. So think about this. If your mom's a good cook, you know, I don't know, like my, my house was a... Uh, was the house that my friends came over to. And there was a culture there. There was good news that my mom's cookies were available to them, you know? Oh, she's a great cook, cool. And they all wanted to come over. And so that created a culture of friends hanging out at our house around the cookies or whatever. So there was a gospel, an announcement of, this good life is available to you. And there was a culture built around that. So we, you know, people wanted to come over to my house and play video games and eat cookies. So that's a simple example of what happens when the Christian gospel is celebrated and put in the center of the local church. There is a culture built around that. The church takes shape when it has the gospel right in the centerpiece. That's what we're building off of. So in an infinitely bigger way, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is a message that we point to and have faith in, and out of that, a distinct culture is created. So for example, God's word tells us uh, to forgive one another. So in Christ, we are forgiven by God. But then Jesus says, go and forgive one another. So a gospel culture is a culture, a local church, that is quick to forgive. You know, we're, If you do life long enough with, people who are married know this, if you do life long enough and close enough to one another, you're going to hurt each other. You're going to wound each other. And so a gospel culture is a forgiving culture, a culture that forgives. But it emerges, from, first and foremost, from Christ. Christ forgave us, we forgive others. So you've probably heard the old story of like, have you ever heard the uh, story of fish swimming together in an ocean and uh, an older fish passes them and the older fish says, water's fine, boys. And uh, the two fish look at each other and they're like, what's water? They don't, they've been swimming their whole lives, or young lives, they've never, they don't know, it's all around them. They just, all they know is fish, or all fish know is water. And so in a lot of ways, to discern modern distortions, like it's super easy to look at the Bible and be like, yeah, these Jews, they wanted, uh, they wanted you to follow all the rules and the gospels about grace. End of sermon. And you guys walk out and you're going you're to be flung into a world full of false gospels that are a lot less obvious than that. And so what I want to do is I just want to point out a, a few of them, a few distortions. I want to point at the water and say, this, this is the water you swim in. And this is some things you need to be aware of that distort and twist the gospel. So, the wider culture is, I I believe, shaped by one um, main, broad, false gospel. And if you guys have ever heard the expression uh, or the phrase, expressive individualism, you guys have heard the word individualism, right? Uh, America is very centered on rugged individualism. And that's not all bad. Sometimes you need to just do what you need to do, right? If you're out in a field by yourself and something breaks, you need to fix it. It's a good thing that we can be rugged individualists in some situations. But as an ultimate overarching principle to live your life, you know that's, that's a false gospel. You need each other. You need your wife, you need your uh, God, you need, like, you need people. And so one of the biggest pieces of idolatry, like one of the biggest false gospels that shapes so much of our culture is called expressive individualism. And that gospel says that you're actually inherently good on the inside. What's in here is good and what's out there is bad. And so the object of life is to retreat inward, bend inward into our true self and then perform that out in front of people. You see this on Instagram, um, TikTok, whatever. To become authentically you becomes the ultimate purpose of your life. And so for you to conform to something that's outside of yourself, is actually not authentic. This is why institutions right now are, are being absolutely decimated everywhere. Any institution, old, stodgy institution that's lasted for generations and generations, is being laid waste. Because the predominant gospel that people are, are believing in is that right here inside, this is the real deal. This is where truth is found. And if I open that up, people look at that, and I perform my gender identity of choice, or I perform you know, a whole host of preferences, vocational abilities, whatever it is, this is who I am, and you either affirm that or you hate me. That's rooted in the false gospel of expressive individualism. And so meaning, belonging, pleasure, all of that is wrapped up in this false gospel. And so the second false promise that this uh, gospel makes is belonging. So I I have uh, some of my friends... Previous coworkers of mine, uh, people are part of the LGBTQ community, some of the best people I've ever met, just to be totally honest. Uh, those folks are, they're full of life, they're creative, like generally, uh, and conversations are awesome, like great human beings. But one of the things that's heartbreaking about the LGBTQ community is that it offers a false promise of belonging. So every human being has to reckon with the fact that they are not right. There's something amiss in their soul. And God says, you know what? You're fallen. You're sinful. There's something going on. There's a poison that's that's taken root deep in your heart. And Jesus offers cleansing of that poison. So there's something outside of us that we look to. But the false gospel that the LGBTQ community um, really just is an amplified version of, is if I actually just reach in and validate everything that's here and then perform that, people go, oh, yeah, this person's living their authentic self. And then they're immediately included in a community. So it's belonging. They get belonging right away. And that's powerful. This is what people, I think this is what you guys, we all have to understand is that when Christ calls us to go and love our neighbor, there are people that think that they've legitimately been shown more practical neighborly love by uh, people in a false gospel community than they have in the Christian gospel community. So there are folks in this world that we've avoided actively and that we need to repent of that because we don't want to be around the culture. We don't want to be around them. We don't want to be, I don't like that. I don't like the ideas that they have. I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they talk. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, they, how are they going to know? How are they going to see? And so God... In the word of God, he, he says brings a, brings a light and says, this is the gospel. And so our call is not to invent our own gospel. It's to show people the true gospel. So I really believe that there's more belonging. There's more deep belonging in the Christian community, in the local congregation, than any other false counterfeit groups of belonging. You're going to find more belonging in the congregation than you are at the CrossFit gym. You're going to find more belonging than you are going to be at the Moose Lodge. Or, you know, I'm a part of this tool collector's association that I've actually never been to a meet, but the Midwest Tool Collector's Association. I'm probably the youngest guy part of that group, I guarantee you. <laughs> I'm not going to find ultimate belonging there. I'm just not. So the third false promise of expressive individualism is that of pleasure. So the expressive, expressive individualist is basing his or her morality on themselves, and so they search for pleasure like a hedonist. I mean, it just makes sense. If you, don't, if you reject the Bible as like concrete principles to live your life out of, then what stops you from saying, well, I want this form of pleasure, so I'm just going to seek it? That's what's called hedonism. The biggest lie of religion is that pleasure is antithetical, and joy is antithetical. It's, it's, it's something different than following religion. Like, like I grew up thinking, go to church, be a good boy, Do the right thing. And so, religion for me was duty. It was all duty. Just it was like I was like, ah, I got to be a good boy. I got to do the right thing. I got to say the right thing. I can't cuss. I can't drink. I can't do any of these things. And so, God for me was this big, distant figure in the sky. And I didn't think that my happiness lined up with following God. I thought my happiness in the pursuit of that was something different than the pursuit of God. And the light bulb that went off in my head uh, about 10 years ago was actually pursuing the glory of God and pursuing deep and abiding joy are the same pursuit. Because God is infinitely delightful. He is supremely delightful. If any being in the universe is going to be a source of happiness and joy, it would be God. God makes big promises. Psalm 16 says, In the presence of God is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. No matter what translation you prefer, the meaning of that is clear. In the presence of God is true and abiding happiness, pleasure, joy. And so for us as Christians, to seek that is a righteous thing. I want to be happy. You all want to be happy. You're seeking happiness everywhere else in your life. Seek it in God. That is the, so there's a false promise associated with every other false gospel that true pleasure happens over here and not with God So verse 8, but even if an angel or uh, uh, even if we, he's referring to him and his boys, the the guys ministering and going out and church planning and all that, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. As we've said before, now I say it again. So he's doubling down on this phrase. It's a big deal. Something happens twice. You'd be like, whoa, he's got something to say. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So what, what Paul is doing here is he's taking aim at the false teachers and the purveyors of the false gospel. He's taking aim at them, the ones that are actively poisoning the well. And he's, he's denouncing them. He's saying that these are false prophets. They're false teachers. And Jesus did the same exact thing. True prophets of God are very hard on the devil and his missionaries and they're very tender with the lost sheep. That's a distinction sometimes that we lose. We read the Bible and we're like, dude, this is aggressive. Whoa, these like teachers of the false gospel, they should be accursed? Like that's, that's uh, the equivalent of you know anathema. That's an old school t- term. But it basically means discarded. Like Jesus' parable of the false prophets that they are like Dead trees that don't produce fruit, and they're only good to be thrown into the fire. That's an aggressive metaphor. But one of the problems is that we have as Christians is that we read that stuff and we're like, oh man, people that are caught up in the false gospels, we should, they're cursed. They're accursed. We should reject them. No, we should should see that as Jesus saw, that there was a rescue mission that needed to be uh, participated in. So Jesus loves people, loves the lost sheep, But Jesus is very hard on the devil and he's very hard on those that are actively coming into spaces. If someone came into this church and was like, yo, all this stuff is baloney. It's all baloney. And whispering into every one of your ears, this is garbage. This is garbage. All this stuff is garbage. Jesus would say, that person needs to repent and speak clear to them that that is not the right gospel. But we've lost the distinction to be able to speak the truth and to love people. And so that's super important for us as Christians, is being able to cling to truth, cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we know that in that is is life, but then also love those that are being swept away by false gospels. But Nick, this is ridiculous. We live in a diverse culture with diverse beliefs. How could, you say, how could anyone say that there's only one gospel, there's only one Jesus? That question really only matters if we're controlled by the approval of, of people. If we're people pleasers, that's when that question matters most. But Paul's saying, look, I'm not coming to you fundamentally on marching orders from people. I'm on marching orders from God himself. And so my, uh, my controlling sort of way I live my life is I'm not a people pleaser. I'm not. I don't need your approval. I already have God's approval. So this is where I just want to, the rubber meets the road in most of your guys' life. It centers on justification. So the gospel is, is that Christ, in love, substituted himself for you. Every one of you in your born natural state is a sinner. We have to maintain these biblical categories. There's a problem in your life, and it's because you were born into sin. But God saw you, and despite yourself, despite all your failures, despite all your shortcomings, despite all the ways you've messed up, He sought you out and loved you anyway, and He substituted Himself on your behalf. So He took the wrath of God, He took the punishment, He took all of the junk, and became a curse to redeem you from, the Word of God says, the curse of the law. And the curse of the law is that endless to do list, the endless Oh, I didn't, I didn't go to church last week and I should have. Oh, I didn't like send that text out. Oh, I, I chose the wrong career path. Oh, my kids, I should have homeschooled them. I shouldn't have homeschooled them. You know, It's like all these things that we base our justification on. But our justification is based in Christ crucified. Christ willingly went to the cross to take that from us. And so the only way that we're going to be rescued as people pleasers is if we look to the way that God is already pleased with us he demonstrated that on the cross. So in the moments of doubt, like I just want to say for those of you like I think most of you in this room have grown up around the church in some way, you've grown up either lifelong member of a local church or you've you've been exposed to Christianity. So the way that I think you can apply this is that there is all sorts of situations in your life where you work for pleasing people you just do, and it controls you, especially those of you that work in the hospitality industry. And you don't want to offend anyone. You just don't. For whatever reason, you just don't want to offend anyone. God smiles at you. He's already approved of you because of Christ. And so the call is to cling to that in faith and then also to invite others into that. So Christ crucified has already happened. It's something that we can point to and say, Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and so you don't have to uh, pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps and save yourself. And so it's really good news that we always have to come back to, we have to come back to, we have to come back to. And so this is going to be a theme throughout all of the letter of Galatians. It's going to feel like, it's going to be like, why are you continuing to talk about this? Why are you still talking about the gospel? Why are you still talking about the gospel? And that's one thing that I want to—I just want to be right up front with you guys—is that that's the thing at Hope City Church. We are a gospel-centered, gospel-driven church, and it's gonna—we're always gonna be coming back to the gospel. Hey, what do we tell people? What, what's our focus in this ministry? Gospel. Hey, want to do marriage counseling? What's gonna be the focus here? Gospel. Hey, I'm having a hard time at work. Hey, my kid—you know—came home from college, and it's all sorts of stuff he's going through. What do I do? Gospel. Gospel, 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 all the time. We're always coming back to it from different angles, treasuring it, longing for it. So there's life there. So I want, I want you guys, um, I want this church to become a gospel culture church. A gospel culture church, and so we need the, the Lord's help for that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, you would reveal to us over time that uh, you're in it for the long haul with us. That your commitment to save us by going to the cross does not end with us becoming converted. When we become a Christian, that's not where your love stops. There's grace for us at every step of the way. And so God, I pray that you would weigh heavy on someone's heart this morning. Those in this room that are struggling to believe the gospel, struggling to see good news, I pray that you would make it good news. That you'd make it good news for the mom that's really struggling right now. That getting out of the door was just a lot of work. And, and whether it's breastfeeding, schedules of naps, it's quality time, all the stuff that makes us feel insecure in our identities as parents, I pray that we would be reminded that you're pleased with us and so that we would cling to you in faith. And for those of you in this, God, I pray for those of us in this room that judge our worth based on our work. Farmer, uh, carpenter, IT guy, whatever it is, I God, I pray that you would help us to see that we're not defined by the work of our hands. We're defined by your work. Help us to cling to that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.